Hello, folks, and welcome to my spot on the bleachers. I have a good show lined up for you today. we got some NFL, XFL. We'll talk a little baseball. Dave Wisnowski drops by, and we'll talk a little bit of Illinois basketball. So grab a cold one, a seat cushion. It's January 25th, and this is Talking Sports on the Bleachers. You got to get it done. This is Gateway City Sports. The rumors are true. This is Talking Sports on the Bleachers with Don Glenn. A confident young man. A superb athlete. A look at the sports issues of the day. Grab a seat, pop a cold one, and let's talk some sports. Gee, that sounds kind of interesting. Gentlemen, start your engines. Rommel on the shotgun here at the snap. Rommel looking, dumps it off right side. Intercepted! Intercepted the goal line by Woodson! And there is your dagger! Brujol with a widespread stance, arms out over the plate. Bickford from the stretch. The 1 1 pitch. A swing, and there it goes! on the bleachers i'm your host don glenn now if you've been here before i want to thank you for coming back if this is your first time well a little bit about the show we have four segments uh leading off is kind of a topic of the day uh under further review i take a closer look at a team or a sport or just something that uh you know maybe it's something we've looked at before just a little deeper look or just a, a look into something uh, college Notebook is pretty much just what it says. Uh, we talk about college sports there. And Under the Arch is a segment that I use to look at sports in and around the St. Louis uh, or that concern the St. Louis area itself. So for today, on the leading off segment, we're going to talk NFL playoffs. Under further review, I'm going to take a look around Major League Baseball, uh, kind of a look at some of the hot stove, and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit of the Hall of Fame. And then in a college notebook, I'm going to play an interview I did with uh, Dave Wisnowski about Illinois men's basketball. And in Under the Arch, we're going to take a look at the XFL Battlehawks and the new Cardinal TV announcer. So we're going to get started right after this. Hey fans, Don Glenn here. I want to let you know that Talking Sports on the Bleachers is a proud member of Gateway City Sports. Now, you say you need to find a place for some news and opinions on St. Louis area sports. I got a spot for you. Head over to gatewaycitysports.com. At Gateway City Sports, you're going to find news and articles about the Cardinals, the Blues, Missouri Tigers, the Illinois Fighting Illini, and even some high school sports. You'll find articles and content from guys like Russ Robinson, a.k.a. Uncle Frank, Brian Papa Swoop, Gene Bond, Derek King, and even I get in on that. You want more podcasts? Then check out our lineup. If you have a Cub fan in the family or friends who are a Cub fan, here's a show for you. 
crack open a couple of brews, and listen to the Team of Rivals podcast with Ron Nuttall, Pete Geddes, and Elliot Dewey. If you prefer most of the Cardinal talk with some interesting guests, well, then give a listen to That's a Winner podcast with Ryan Jenkins and Josh Brown. You say that's not enough Cardinal content for you? Hey, we got more. It's the two for three with the Mighty Moose, Mike Stevenson. Then there's the often imitated but never duplicated Gary King Sports Show with the man himself, Gary King. So head on over to GatewayCitySports.com and look us over. As always, if there's a sport you follow and we don't cover it, drop us a line. We'll see what we can do for you. That's GatewayCitySports.com. NFL playoffs are underway. The conference championship games are coming up, and it's going to pit the uh, Kansas City Chiefs versus the Cincinnati Bengals, which is a rematch of last year. The San Francisco 49ers will play the Philadelphia Eagles, which San Francisco was in it last year, but not the Eagles in, uh, in the final four rounds, so to speak. Or we'll start with the AFC first. The Bengals had to play from the third seed while the Chiefs got the first round bye. The Bengals took on the Baltimore Ravens. They were the sixth seed, and a pretty tight ball game. The uh, Bengals won with a defensive uh, play in the fourth quarter. Uh, The Bengals struck first on a field goal in the first quarter. Then they got a second-quarter touchdown from Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase, a 15-yard strike. The extra point would fail, making it a 9-0 lead. Now the Ravens came back. Tyler Huntley got the... uh, a touchdown in the second quarter with a two-yard strike to J.K. Dobbins. They then added a field goal to take a 10-9 lead going into the halftime. Now, late in the third quarter, Burrow would find a hole over left guard rushing for a rushing touchdown and then hit T. Higgins for the two-point conversion. The Ravens would answer with Huntley to Demarcus Robinson for 41 yards to knock the game at 17. Early in the fourth quarter, the Bengals would get the defensive score uh, that I talked about. As Tyler Huntley was trying to go over the top of the pile, he stretched out the ball. It got knocked loose by Logan Wilson. He got right into uh, Sam Hubbard. Uh, he couldn't have tip-drilled it better, really. Uh, and the uh, Hubbard would rumble 98 yards for the go-ahead touchdown, and they would hold on to win 24-17. Next up for the Bengals was the uh, Buffalo Bills, and the Bengals started that one a lot better than the first game, taking a 14-0 lead in the first quarter. They scored on two pass plays from Joe Burrow, one to Jamar Chase, and the other one to Hayden Hurst. Uh, Josh Allen, we get the Bills on the scoreboard with a one-yard touchdown plunge over the left guard uh, to cut into the Bengal lead. A late field goal by Cincy would give them the 10-point lead at the half. Uh, the Bills got a field goal, field goal midway through the third quarter. Cincinnati would counter with a one-yard touchdown run by Joe Mixon. Then they would add a field goal in the fourth for the 27-10 win. Now, one interesting point about this game, Bills safety, Damar Hamlin, uh, who has been out since his collapse on the field, uh, did was able to watch the game from the stadium in the stands. Uh, I think he was in one of the boxes. Uh, but he was down uh, with the team in pregame, and uh, it was good to see that, good to see that uh, he's uh, recovering well. That's the first time he's been uh, at a game since his uh, heart attack on uh, July, or excuse me, January 2nd. Uh, family members say he is recovering well, but still has a very long road ahead. So uh, good wishes and uh, prayers for a continued recovery to Damar Hamlin and his family. Kansas City, as I said, got the first round by, so in the second round they took on Jacksonville Jaguars, the four seed. Kansas City struck first on an opening drive on a Mahomes to Kelsey seven-yard pass play. Now this is the 12th time those two have hooked up in the postseason, tying Joe Montana and Jerry Rice. The Jags would tie the game near the end of the first quarter on a 10-yard TD pass from Trevor Lawrence to Christian Kirk. Mahomes would go down with an ankle injury late in the first quarter and be replaced by Chad Henney, who in the second quarter added a touchdown of his own to Travis Kelsey. Mahomes would re-enter the game at the start of the third quarter, but the only score would be a 50-yard field goal from Harrison Butker, making the score 20-10. Then in the fourth quarter, Jacksonville would get an early touchdown. Travis Intene would score on a four-yard run, and the extra point, would put the Jags within three at 20-17, to 17, 
But Mahomes would come back and hit Marquise Valles-Scantlin for a six-yard score, uh, putting it at 27-17. Jacksonville added a late field goal with 30 seconds to go, could not make the onside kick work, and the final score, 27-20. This sets up a Bengals and Chiefs rematch from uh, last year. And uh, I think, like last year, I think the Bengals are going to come away with this one. I think a little bit is got because of uh, Mahomes' ankle injury. It would not appear that he was serious because he came back in the game, but you just don't know. You don't know how it's going to react over the week, uh, if he gets hit in again during the game, you know, what their scheme's going to be. And I think Joe Burrow and the Bengals are looking to just kind of redeem themselves from not beating the Rams last year. Uh, they've also beaten the Chiefs now three times in the playoffs, and uh, I think they want to make it four, make it a clean sweep in four in a row. So I'm going to put my uh, flip my coin for the Bengals. Although it would not surprise me the Chiefs win, but I do think the Bengals are going to take the uh, AFC Championship and be the Super Bowl representative. Now over the National Conference, the Eagles caught a first round bye, giving their uh, best record in the NFC. Frisco was the two seed, headed into the first round match against seven seed Seattle. Rookie backup, or, yeah, rookie backup quarterback Brock Purdy, who is now the starter. Uh, that's hard to figure it out. Uh, and that rise, I mean, I'll tell you what, he was Mister Irrelevant coming out of the draft, the last pick in the twenty-two draft, third-string quarterback, and then all of a sudden you have uh, Trey Lance go down in week two. Jimmy Garoppolo goes down in week 13. Now, Mr. Irrelevant has become the starting quarterback and has won, uh, well, we'll get to it the other game here, but now he's won seven games in a row, five regular season, two postseason. And it's, <laughs> you talk, I, mean, I don't think you could write a better story than, than what uh, Brock Purdy has been going through. But uh, in that game against Seattle, they took a one-point one halftime deficit, and he just turned it into an 18-point drop in the second half. Uh, now, the 49ers did take the lead with a field goal. Then uh, uh, Brock Purdy, the Christian McCaffrey three-yard pass, gave him a 10-point lead. In the second quarter, the Seahawks came back with a seven-yard run by Kenneth Walker. And then uh, we get another field goal, making it 13-7. to Geno Smith would show up and hit a DK Metcalf with a 50-yard pass play. The Seahawks uh, put went back on top at that point, 14-13. to Both teams traded field goals near the end of the half to make the score 17-16 to at the half. Now, after the half, it became the Brock Purdy show. The midway through the third, Frisco would score when Purdy would hit uh, would uh, sneak over from one yard, given the six-point lead. It stayed that way until the fourth when Frisco would start to pull away as Purdy hit Elijah Mitchell for a seven-yard score. Uh, then made a two-point conversion pass to George Kittle. Uh, Purdy would also then hook up with Debo Samuel for what was a 74-yard pass play for another 49er score, making it 38-17. to The Niners would add a field goal, make it 41-17. to And the Seahawks would get a late touchdown, uh, making the final score, and they would miss their two-point conversion, making the final score 41-23. to now, Purdy was 18 of 30 for 332 yards and three touchdowns and ran for a touchdown. Samuel had six catches for 133 yards and a score. So they, uh, after that, uh, oh, Christian McCaffrey also, I want to mention, he had uh, carried 15 times for 119 yards. Uh, he didn't get a rushing touchdown, but he did catch that one pass for a touchdown. Now, the 49ers uh, went on to play Dallas, uh, the 5 seed. And instead of riding the arm of Brock Purdy, it was the leg of kicker Robbie Gold as he hit four field goals in a game where defense was uh, was, was key on both sides. Uh, they played a very good defensive game, both sides of the ball, or both teams did, I should say. Dak Prescott was picked off twice and sacked once by the 49er defense. Now, Gould got the scoring started with a field goal in the first quarter. Dallas came back, uh, Prescott to Dalton Schultz, and then kicker Brett Mayer, however, saw his extra point take off low and get blocked. Uh, then in the last 348 of the half, Gould would connect on a 47-yarder and then get a 50-yarder with one second left in the half to give the 
49ers the 9-6 to halftime lead. And then uh, Mayer would get some redemption in, th in the uh, second half, a 25-yard field goal in the third to tie the game at 9. And then, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and then uh, Frisco started uh, the fourth with a McCaffrey run up the middle for two yards and a score. Both teams would get late field goals, and San Francisco would hold on for that 19-12 win. Uh, now, with the two playoff wins, Purdy is one of three quarterbacks that have two playoff wins in their posts in the postseason in their rookie year. Now, the other two guys are Joe Flacco in 2008 and Mark Sanchez in 2009. Philadelphia Eagles used a combination of rushing and passing plus a stout defense as they rolled past the Giants 38-7. Hertz was coming off a shoulder injury, but you wouldn't really know it. Uh, he threw 24 times, connecting on 16 of them for 154 yards, two touchdowns. He also ran for a touchdown. They bolted out to a 28 to nothing halftime lead. Uh, in the first quarter, they got two TD passes by Hertz. One was 16 yards to Dallas Godert, and the second was uh, nine yards to Devonta Smith. In the second quarter, Boston Scott scored on a three-yard run, and Hertz would get his rushing touchdown on a five-yard run near the end of the half. The Giants got on the board in the third quarter with a Matt Breida eight-yard eight run for a score, and then Philly would take back over again in the fourth quarter, a field goal and a 35-yard touchdown run by Kenneth Grainwell with two minutes left in the game to make the route complete at 38-7. Now, Grain, Gainwell would rush for 112 yards on 12 carries. The Eagles' defense picked off Daniel Jones once but sacked him five times. The Giants only were allowed 227 yards of total offense. So this sets up a Phillies running attack, which gains 268 yards a game, versus the 49ers' passing attack of 273 yards a game. I like both teams here, and as much as I'm rooting for Purdy to have success and maybe uh, get his name in some more record book uh, territory... I just don't see them getting past Philly. Uh, Philly, I think, is just way too tough. And so, uh, I'm, without hesitation, I'm throwing my my uh, my uh, flip of the coin on this game to the Philadelphia Eagles. Hey, uh, next we're going to take a look at what's happening in baseball right after this from Fifth Street Motors. Don Glenn here from Talking Sports on the Bleachers at Gateway City Sports. Coaches and athletes are under a lot of stress. The pressure to win can be daunting. I can relate that almost to buying a car. And we all know how stressful buying a car can be. But there is one place that's trying to change that. Fifth Street Motors located at 2044 Rose Lane, Pacific, Missouri. At Fifth Street Motors, they want to make sure your car buying experience is less stressful. They will help you find a vehicle you need no matter what brand. At Fifth Street Motors, they believe in giving you the absolute best price on a pre-owned vehicle that will fit your budget. Check out what stress-free car buying can be. Give Brandon or Don a call today, 573-259-1306. That's 573-259-1306. Tell them Don Glenn from Talking Sports on the Bleachers sent you. The call on the field stands. Touchdown. Under further review, I want to take a look at the hot stove action and not any real huge moves going on. Uh, not really that many quality free agents left, if you really want to get the honest truth. Uh, some names of note, uh, Adam Duvall goes to Boston on a one-year deal. Tommy Pham gets a one-year deal from the Mets. Aroldis Chapman gets a one-year deal with Kansas City. Uh, former Cardinals that have uh, found another job, uh, Corey Dickerson goes to Washington on a one-year deal. And Luke Weaver, uh, part of the Paul Goldschmidt trade with Arizona, gets a one-year deal from the Reds. Now, I said there's not much left on the free agent market. Uh, people still looking for starting pitching. And there seems to be a buzz centered around Trevor Bauer. Well, the buzz is who, if anyone, will take a chance on the 32-year-old. You got all the legal baggage from last two years ago with the sexual assault claim and all that stuff. Now, as many people have pointed out, he was never convicted of any wrongdoing. And the gal, I guess, has since recanted her story or removed the charges or whatever it was. And he was still he's still out that year and a half or year plus of the suspension that he served. And now, of course, the Dodgers released him. Uh, I think some of it, some 
teams just don't want that distraction. I mean, really, they really don't want that distraction of of uh, uh, constant questions about uh, did he do this or did he do that or you know was the I, I don't know. Um, and I'm not here to judge the guy. I'm not here to judge. I mean, as I mentioned, Aroldis Chapman gets a one-year deal. You know, he was actually convicted of uh, domestic abuse. Marcelo Zuna was convicted of domestic abuse. They're still playing. But you don't hear anything about those guys, really. I mean, because uh, they've kind of really, their prominence isn't as good. And it may happen with Bauer. But you just don't know right now. It's, a, it's, real, it's still real fresh. So we'll see. Uh, but uh, uh, the other part of, of that is not just the distraction, but he also hasn't pitched in two years. And that's a lot of rust to knock off an arm. Um, and he's 32. So, you know, you are only got maybe a couple years left before he really starts to diminish in his skills. Now, I know you're going to point at guys like Scherzer. You're going to point at guys like Verlander, Wainwright, you know, that are, you know, 38, 39, 40, 41. Um, you know, I, I get it. I get it. But uh, typically, you know, around 35, 36 is when you start seeing that decline. And, uh, you know, will that happen with Bauer? Who knows? It depends on if he pitches. It really does. Uh, so we're going to see. We're going to see about, about Bauer and how that how that all shakes out. Um, but some other pitchers that are starting pitchers that are on the market, you got some older veterans like uh, Zach Grinke, uh, uh, David Price, Mike Miner. Uh, then a former Cardinal Michael Waka is still on the uh, free agent uh uh, rosters, if you will. Uh, and the bullpen-wise, you've got uh, Will Smith, Zach Britton, Brad Hand, Andrew Chafin. I think Chafin or Hand could actually help out the Cardinal bullpen if, if uh, you know, Moe Mo and DeWitt have some money to spend. Uh, Position-wise, really not much at all out there. I mean, you've got Mike Moustakas, who was recently released. You've got David Peralta, Jose Iglesias, or Iglesias, I guess. And Jerks and Profar. Now, Profar, of that group, I, I would take my flyer on Profar or Peralta as a bench bat, bench player. I would look in those guys' direction for that. And you might, at this point in the game, you might be able to get him fairly cheap. Uh, I'm not sure I would take a flyer on Moustakas, maybe. You know, um, if he'd take an invite, I don't know. I, I might take it, but I think Peralta or Profar would be the ones I would look at position-wise. So, like I said, the pickings are mighty slim. Now, the trade market has been active, but, again, outside of the Murphy deal and Toronto getting rid of Gabriel Marrero, there really hasn't been much. Uh, Pittsburgh uh, did send pitcher Zach Thompson to Toronto for Chavez Young, and the Marlins uh, just recently dealt starter Pablo Lopez, shortstops Jose Salas, and outfielder Brian Truro to the Twins for... First baseman Luis Arez, uh, the American League hitting champion from last year. Now, the Marlins still have three more pitchers that are rumored to be on the trading block. Those are Jesus Lazardo, Trevor Rogers, Edward Cabrera. Uh, they're looking supposedly for offense and maybe in line with a center fielder. Uh, the Red Sox are trying to shore up their infield. They acquired Alberto Mondesi and a player to be named later for left-hander Josh Taylor. Uh, Mondesi was from the Royals. Uh, the Royals are also rumored to be shopping utility guy Hunter Dozier and infielder Nicky Lopez. Now, I don't see any real deep trades going on until spring training gets going and teams find out what they've got and what they need. So Now, in other things, other MLB news, Scott Rowland of the St. Louis Cardinals, former St. Louis Cardinal, made it to the Hall of Fame, the only player selected in this year by the Baseball Writers Association of America. He'll join Fred McGriff, as the, who was selected by the Contemporary Era Committee last month. Roland garnered 76.3% of the votes. 75% is needed for induction. Todd Helton was the next highest percentage at 72.2, and Helton was the only other player over 70%. 
Now, Roland came up with the Phillies, spent six and a half years there before being traded to St. Louis, where he spent another five and a half years, then about a year and a half in Toronto and three and a half years in Cincinnati. Uh, Roland had very good years in both Philadelphia and St. Louis, putting up, I mean, almost identical numbers if you look at it. At Philly, in his time there, he was 282, 373, 504, 150 home runs, 559 RBIs, and 3,125 at-bats compiled an 18.4 wins above average and a 29.2 war. Uh, for St. Louis, he hit 286, 370, 510, 111 home runs, 453 RBIs. Now, you might be saying, well, that's not comparable. That was only in 200 or 2,373 at-bats. He had a 17.7 wins above average and a 25.9 war in St. Louis. Uh, the Cardinals acquired Roland and Doug Nickel from the Phillies in exchange for Placido Polanco, Bud Smith, and Mike Timlin uh, at the trading deadline in 2002. He was part of the MV3 in 2004 with teammates Albert Pujols and Jim Edmonds. Uh, and now it's not clear as what cap he's going to wear because that's a situation where the Hall uh, Hall of Fame has the, uh, the say-so on what cap he goes in, in with. Uh, they do take recommendation from the player, but they base it on where he made his most impact. And, you know, that also is, is uh, you know, kind of up in the air. If you look at it, uh, with his time at uh, Philly, he was Rookie of the Year, a uh, three-time Gold Glover, a one uh, all-star appearance in the Silver Slugger. In St. Louis, he's a three-time Gold Glover, four-time all-star, uh, World Series champion, so the Hall of Fame is going to have a – I think what they'll probably end up doing, um, we've talked about this, and I think, uh, Brian Swope mentioned it the other day on our, our uh, uh, Gateway City uh, Twitter feed, that uh, it'll probably go in with a no-logo plain cap um, because it's – I mean, there's so much there. It's, it, it, it's going to be hard to distinguish where he made the most impact. Uh, I mean, you could say the World Series trumps everything, but – you know, he was Rookie of the Year in Philadelphia. He was drafted by Philadelphia. He came up with Philadelphia. Uh, so, you know, it, it, I think probably the best way to make everybody happy, they're just going to put a plain cap on his on his plaque and go from there. All right, uh, coming up, we're going to play my interview with Dave Wisnowski. Uh We're going to talk. We talk a little University of Illinois basketball. That's coming up next on Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Hello, this is Don Glenn from Talking Sports on the Bleachers at Gateway City Sports. We all know how important it is to stay protected. Just like a quarterback stays protected in the pocket, you need to have the things in your life protected. Because we all know, sometimes life throws you a curve. And that's why you need Allstate. The Wiley Group has two locations in Festus and Arnold to serve you. They offer home, auto, boat, motorcycle, business, life insurance, investments, and much more. They offer a customized approach that is unique to your situation to make sure you, your family, and your assets are properly protected. They also have great rates and savings. So give Sean and his team a call today, 636-764-6294. Again, that's 636-764-6294. They'll help you with an insurance quote right over the phone. I mean, that's how they roll, folks. Even give them a call if you just want to talk sports. Maybe I should have him on the show someday. With work and kids and social functions, we all have busy lives. So you can also email Sean at seanwiley at allstate.com. That's S-E-A-N-W-I-L-E-Y at allstate.com. Talk to him about your coverage options. And remember, you're in good hands with Allstate. Joining me now via the Gateway City Sports Zoom link is former U of I alum as a well-respected sports uh, sports writing figure. He has been an award-winning sports reporter for the Champaign-Urbana News-Gazette, Chicago Tribune. He's been a columnist for CBS Chicago. He even wrote a book in 2004. Welcome to Talking Sports on the Bleachers, the one and only Dave Wisnowski. It's a pleasure to be on with you today. Well, I'm glad you could make the time for us uh, I know you're kind of busy, and and this time of year, getting uh, getting any type of uh, sports figures on, is, especially college basketball, is a little bit tough. <laughs> They're a little bit busy right now. 
Now, I, if I'm remember, you graduated from U of I back in the 90s, correct? I did, class of 98. So 98. My, okay. uh, that was the team with um, the five senior starters that won the Big Ten Championship that season. So it was Hellman, Turner, G, uh, Bryan, and Jerry Hester. So, and I, that was, it made up for football that season was an 0 11 season. So basketball yeah. really made up for it. And it was so that, fun. That, I was that second, second roll on the floor and got to watch your starters win the title. That was, so that was a lot of fun. Now, that would have been what? Uh, Kruger's next to last season? It, it was one of his earlier seasons there, actually, because his first, it was his second team, actually, because he oh, okay. started. Yeah, because Henson's last season was the 96 season, my sophomore year. So that was actually right. the first team where things kind of clicked for, initially with that group. And they, they really, uh, that was an overachieving bunch, but still one of my favorite Illini teams of all time. I go back a little bit further than I go back to actually, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, Gene, uh, Harv Schmidt and Gene Bartow. Yeah, yeah. I go over to that little three-year section where you went Schmidt, Barco, Henson, and I, you know, and uh, Coach Henson was credited with revitalizing many of what we what people thought was a dead program at the time, coming out of that scandal, and then Barco was just a, a a nothing burger, so to speak. And then you had him, and then you had Kruger, and then Self, and then Weber. Mm-hmm. But has Brad Underwood done the same thing, giving what happened during the, the John Gross era? I think he's I had to dig out of as basically as, as big of a hole as, as Henson did, really. I mean, the different circumstances, obviously, as you mentioned, with the whole uh, slush fund scandal and everything really laid to waste the Illini athletics back then. But I, I mean, Underwood really had to take things. Things really tapered off, you know, at the end of, of Weber's era there. And then Gross just never got things going. He did OK with with Weber's team that first season. But really, it was just mediocrity you know it was every season just hoping to be a bubble team which really had become frustrating and gross was just in over his head i don't think he was ever really fully qualified for the job so underwood really had to come in i know people were frustrated initially when brad took over that they weren't winning more games but i really think he had to work to instill his personality in that program uh and and really create a, a tougher mindset because with with gross i've called it before like it was really a kind of a milk toast mindset and and really brad i think it stamped his persona on that team I think some of that's yeah. been going on this season too he lost so many players from last year he's kind of been working to try and stamp his personality on a whole new bunch again which is frustrating that he's got to kind of do it over again but Brad's really dug, dug out of a big hole and I think he's got the program on a great trajectory and I think he's done an amazing job so far you know that's one thing I was going to touch on you know college recruiting being what it is now and it's changed so much just over the last three and four years uh, with the uh, transfer portal, the way it's been operating, and now with the NIL variant thrown in, you see a lot of teams, and teams that we've already played before, like Virginia and Missouri and Maryland, have gone to this basically recruiting five starters from the transfer portal. But really, if you get down to it, but yet guys like Underwood and there's are staying with that building the program through freshmen. Mm-hmm. Is that something you may you think could is is going to State relevant, or is the transfer portal going to take over and, and kind of push the freshman aside as far as I mean, the program goes? You've got to try and balance both these days. And Underwood's had success with transfers too this season, and we know with with Terrence Shannon and Meyer and Dangerous technically a transfer before too. But you can't. I don't think you can sustain it by only relying on that because you're going to lose your continuity, and you really have to have some guys come up through the program as well too. You walk a fine line though because if freshmen don't get the playing time they want. They may bounce and head somewhere else thinking they're going to get it elsewhere. So it really is a tricky world. But I think you've got to try and still build with key high school recruits and then supplement with transfers coming in. I think the biggest change probably that coaches are going to be less likely to take a flyer on a borderline uh, high school recruit now because it's it's not really worth using a scholarship on a guy if you're going to have to really develop him fully over four years. He's not going to be a contributor until maybe the end of his career or you don't know for sure at all because it's probably wiser to save that scholarship back and, and try to bring in a transfer who's proven himself somewhere else so I think that's a big thing but there as you pointed out there's a lot of challenges you've got everything that existed with basketball for so long which has been complicated but then you're throwing on top of it these instant transfers and the NIL so it's really a tricky thing and you look at what Underwood's done too with losing his entire assistant coaching staff the season before last as well too and I, I really I'd argue built a stronger uh, team of assistants perhaps than he did before. And that was kind of miraculous what he was able to do losing, losing two coaches to Kentucky and one to Gonzaga in that offseason. 
Yeah, I, and a lot of people were wondering what was going to happen with the recruiting when you lost uh, Antigua and, and Coleman, uh, mm-hmm. especially because of, they were really uh, instrumental in bringing Kofi and Ayu and a couple of the other guys to the program. But I don't know. It seems like Tim Anderson or Chester Frazier just picking up picked up where they left off and said, "We it's our ball now to run with. I think they've – I mean, Tim Anderson's been a fantastic addition in terms of recruiting. He's really brought in some great talent, and both at the high school level and with transfers as well, too. And then Chester's doing a really nice job in that front, too. And then I think Jeff Alexander's the one to credit for these European guys that are coming in. Um, with Perrin and, and Moretti, I think those are his connections. He's kind of focused on the Euro market. So all three are, are doing well, and I think there was a lot of consternation there losing – you know, Antigua was the big name, uh, but right. losing – like losing guys to Kentucky, that whole controversy just of you don't like seeing them take away your coaches, especially two at once. But uh, it's really been kind of seamless. I know Illinois 7 is ups and downs this season, but it, it really that the losing those coaches didn't cause even, a, I think, a hiccup in, in what we expected. And Kentucky's not having that much success with those two guys right now either. They're having their own struggle. That, that that's always heartening to see when that happens. But yeah, getting getting to the, the ups and downs a little bit, I've been on. Uh, on the on Twitter with a few different places and on Facebook and some of the groups and and I hear people talk about all that you know this this team can't play the big games this team can't play the big you know the the the, the top competition and I always have to turn around and point out you know uh, we did beat number eight UCLA <laughs> you know huh? we 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 beat number two Texas yeah uh, but. I think the one thing I've pointed out a couple different times is that the teams that have beaten us, or at least up until this Indiana game, the teams that have beaten us have been these heavy senior-laden, fifth-year senior, super senior teams. You know, uh, Virginia, uh, Missouri started all five. Three of their five starters were fifth-year, sixth-year seniors. Yep. You know, and I think we're kind of a little about matching the experience category there. Is that you get the same feeling? I think that's true. I think Penn State also is the oldest team in, in college yeah, basketball. Yeah. And I, I believe they've said, too. I think there's there's some of the – you know, Illinois has a lot of young guys, um, and they've got a lot of new guys. It's a tricky combination there that I expected to have some hiccups this season, just with eight newcomers coming in, and a lot of them being freshmen. And Danger is not technically a full-on freshman, but he really, for all intents and purposes, he is. He hasn't really played before this year. So I think that's been one reason that um, Illinois has had some of the losses they've had. There's, there's been teams just flat out more experienced and know how to handle late-game situations. Uh, or maybe, I guess you look at some of the games, the Penn State, for example, they just kind of dominated them the whole game. So you look at some of that, I think that's been definitely a factor that's been in, in play, that Illinois has a young team, and I think it's a team that has taken some time to figure out how to play together. It looked like they had kind of turned a corner until the IU game this past weekend, and then it seemed like they kind of <laughs> took a corner back in the opposite direction. Well, I guess what I guess we've brought it up, both you and I have both brought it up, so I have to talk about it. Uh, the IU game, uh, you know, a lot of people I've seen, I've been been very critical of the game scheme uh, with uh, not double-teaming. I can't think of the trace. trace. Yeah, uh, Davis, yeah. Uh, not not double-teaming him, but I guess Michigan State did that, and they got their butt handed to him by 13 or 14 points. Is there really a good strategy to handle that kid? I think there's a lot of factors in play there. I, personally, I, I would have liked to have seen Illinois send a double at him or do something different, whether it was switching to zone or, I, you know, but there's these factors that Underwood talked about the fatigue, that they'd had 19 straight days on the court, and, and whether it's physical fatigue, mental fatigue. I mean, it's easy to dismiss that and just say, ah, that shouldn't matter, but it probably does matter. There's probably some legitimacy to that. If if the team is tired, um then you couldn't say uh, – Illinois seemed to have a little more success when they pressed mm-hmm. Indiana trying to keep the ball out of, out of Trace's hand. Um, but you can't do that all game if you actually are fatigued, so you can't do that completely. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen them try to deny Trace getting his dominant hand and send in another guy and him switching things up when he was, you know, six for six or whatever to, to start the game. It kind of made it apparent that you need to do something differently. So there's those things. Also, Trace was – kind of in a zone there too. Maybe Illinois let him got, get into a zone, but by the way they defended him, I don't know. But he also, that was one of the best games he's played, I think, in his career. And he just really had it going on that game too. So I, I've been kind of critical that I would have liked to have seen something differently. But 
it's also one game and other teams, as you pointed out, have, have tried other schemes on him and, and he struggled. Trace was a preseason All-American last year and, and preseason uh, All-Big Ten, you know, as, as well. And he's, he's playing. He, the guy has talent. And when he goes up against a team that doesn't have a enormously dominant big man like Kofi, you know, he, he can right. fare well and he's hard to contain. Yeah, I, I think that's the one thing. Like, I mean, I was I was uh, uptown watching it, uh, uh, and uh, one guy was saying, you know, they, they need to get uh, Dania off him. He can't handle him. I'm like, I thought, well, I'll put it this way. If they, if they would put Coleman on him, which they did, when they put Hawkins yeah. on him, he just overpowered Hawkins. Yep. I mean, you know, he, he walked around Dania and overpowered. I mean, we after that, you don't have anything left, really. <laughs> right. You know, I think, I think the idea of, of letting him score – Going one on one with him, but then trying to deny the other people their points. I think that can work, but the problem is we didn't deny Galloway his points. We didn't deny the other guys their their. Uh, we didn't bother them enough to to count for what. Plus, missing fourteen free free throws didn't help either. Now that did thir- I think it was thirteen layups to fourteen free throws certainly hurt a lot too. They just you know I and maybe that is attributed to tired legs or something missing all those yeah. free throws. I don't know. They then they had some tough balls that rolled out in the first half. I I thought because I, I was down at the game uh, that night and and I thought they had some should have gone in. It wasn't uh, right. it wasn't like a not close to the basket. It was just some bad luck a little bit. It was it was a frust- it was a surprising performance to me because I really thought Illinois was going to win that game. I liked the way they'd been playing the previous four. I thought they're going to come out and play well. And Meyer being sick apparently and the team. You know, I, I didn't realize they had, hadn't really had a day off in 19 straight days. And people have also criticized, well, why didn't Underwood give the team uh, um, a day off for, uh, you know, some more rest? But you're trying to prep for things. you got games coming up quickly. I guess I'm sure he would have if he could have, really. But you can't do that. So there's a lot of ways you can cut it. It comes down, it was a game as well, too. And sometimes you have bad games in college basketball. I think the only thing that really hurts is it seems that we've had a couple of those bad games. You can look at the Missouri, you can look at Penn State, you know, and um, how we were just walked on by those two teams, really. So I think maybe that's kind of why people are kind of a little more critical. I, I look at the, this team and I look at the, the youth and, and the makeup of it, and I go thinking back to, again, we were talking with the other coaches of Kruger and Self and Henson and all these guys, and they had some team leaders. Uh, you have, you know, you know Perry, Perry Range, Derek Harper, Eddie Johnson, Bruce Douglas, Sergio McLean, Frank Williams, uh, going into Darren D and and, uh, and Luther. Yep. And and the last couple of years, we've had Kofi, we've had uh, DeMonte, and we've had Trent. And then you go to this year, I mean, realistically, I think you would have liked to have seen, I think I would have liked to have seen Coleman Hawkins take the leadership role. Mm-hmm. I think this was his team to lead. And I think he's missed that particular point of his game and it's forcing Shannon and Meyer to try and lead when they're just as new as the freshmen. Yeah. I mean, is, is that, do you see that as a major problem as well? Or is or, or am I making too much out of nothing? No, I think that's been a huge issue. Leadership. There hasn't been a clear cut leader on the court for the Illini this season. I, I do agree with you that ideally it would be Coleman. I think what um, that uh, Underwood even said uh, that Coleman really needs to be the keeper of the flame from the program because you look, there's really very few guys. It hasn't helped that Goody's been injured all season too because yeah, I think he may be the most natural leader on the team and he hasn't been on the court. You can't really lead if you're not on the court. Uh, you know, Coleman's an extremely talented player. I don't think it's natural for him to be a – a true leader on the court. Um, and that isn't a natural fit for him. So it's kind of an awkward fit a little bit there. And it is a lot of new guys, a lot of young guys who don't know anything about the program to speak of yet. And I mean, it, in hindsight, it was always a concern, not even hindsight. I, I think it was something that concerned about the whole get go was not having a senior point guard or a veteran point guard. And really it would have been nice had Illinois been able to pull one of those in from the portal, someone who could really settle the team down and really had that natural leadership ability of proving it on the court from that point guard position. Because when you're relying on freshman point guards and you don't have a clear-cut leader elsewhere on the on the court, you're really kind of up a creek a little bit. And I think we've seen that with the Illini not having a clear leader. Um, it, it seemed that Meyer and, and Terrence had kind of started stepping up into that role a little more comfortably the past few games, but uh, we didn't, didn't see it on uh, on on 
Friday or Thursday night against IU. Um, also, again, Meyer being sick didn't help because he had really gotten in a groove prior to that. Oh, game. yeah. It kind of makes me almost wonder if Grandison had not transferred or had not transferred out and stayed, would he have been that leader? I've thought about that myself, and I, I think you're onto something there. I, you know, I, I think everyone gets the excited about someone more talented coming in um, than mm-hmm. Grandison. I think Grandison was the most talented, not the most athletic guy, and I think he's doing okay with Duke, but he's not lightening it up. He, he, but but talking about someone who knew the program at that point, had that experience, that maturity, uh, I, I really think it was probably a mistake to let him go. And Illinois would have been better off having him on the roster than someone perhaps with more talent, um, uh, quote unquote. Uh, I, I, I think that's hurt them because I, I think he's a guy who could have been that true keeper of the flame and just letting guys know what's expected of them with this program and, and, and how things work as Malina. I think, Underwood's spoken about wanting to get old and stay old with the program. Illinois kind of achieved that with the transfers coming. You got some veteran guys, right. but there's something to get experienced and stay experienced too. If you're just old and it's new guys, it isn't quite the same necessarily as it, as it is with experienced guys. Now that said, some programs, Mizzou, mm-hmm. a lot of older guys who have come in with not much experience together and, and they've fared well, but I guess that's a lot of, experience where Illinois has a few guys experience and a lot of new guys. It's just kind of a, been a tricky combination and not having anyone senior at that point guard position, I think really has, has hurt them. And that would, that would be something that Illinois would really benefit from if they had a, had a veteran leader at point guard. Uh, speaking of the point guard situation um, with, with the unknown with Sky Clark. And I mean, I, nobody knows what I haven't seen his name in the transfer portal yet. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. You know, we, nobody knows what he's going to do. And I've talked with Deion Thomas uh, a couple months ago. Earlier, we were talking about the, about the. You know, I had him on the show. And we were talking about Illinois, and he kind of likes going forward. Sincere Harris mm-hmm. as that as that point guard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I tell you what, I, I, I've seen a lot to. Li- there's a lot to like about about Harris. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think he could be that that point guard that's going to stick around three four years? And, I think, and lead this team. I think he could be a leader. I, I I don't know if he'd be my absolute primary choice to be the primary ball handler, ball distributor. He could he could be perhaps, but um, I don't think he's a natural point guard. But he, I love his energy. Right. I love his defense. I love everything he he brings to the table. I, I I think he's the one guy that just goes all out every single game and haven't had questions about his his effort and energy level. I, I like him a lot, and I, I'm, who am I to argue with Dion on some of that? He would know better than I would probably who could really lead a team. Uh, I like to see I, – I, I'm curious about this Moretti that they have coming in. I don't think the plan is for him to sit out this year, but I think he's a, a natural point guard in terms of ball distribution and everything too. And that's kind of where I always lean. I'd, I'd like to have uh, a, a leader who really can – you know can really distribute the ball. And I think it's this year – can do some of that, but that's not his his first um, aspect. He's more of a defense first, energy first point guard. I, I would kind of feel, which is maybe a little atypical from what you have from a, a PG uh, originally. So I, I like him. I think he's going to be a key element of the program. I guess if my preference would be to have a guy a little more um, um, distribution oriented. Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't necessarily meaning point guard. I was just meaning the leader of the. In that in that realm of being that leader, on oh, the field, so to speak. Oh yeah, I think sincere definitely yeah. can be a leader. I, I think he's a guy that you you look at him. It seems like he's getting the kind of playing time that would make him happy and stick around. And he's got that mental makeup, I think, to, to be a leader. So in terms of of the, that role, absolutely, I think that he's got strong leadership potential. Um, because um, he just he just seems to get it out there, what it takes to really um, exert the effort at, at the Big Ten level and really need to succeed. So for sure, from that aspect, yes. Yeah. Now, looking at what we've built so far, what's going on this season with, like I said, with, with the way we've had losses to the to the older teams and you know the the, the play against uh, Indiana. What's what what's your take on this on the outlook going forward? I think we got what ten games left, nine games left. Let's see. They're uh, yeah, they're. Uh, about that, right? I'm trying to think. Do they have ten left? They're or they have eleven left still. Are they five? Eleven left. Okay. Or yeah, I they're think five, they're four. They're they're four and four in the conference. Four and four. So they got twelve left actually. So, so we still left. got okay. 
still got plenty of basketball left. Yeah, still a lot of basketball to be played. I, you know, I don't want to overreact to that IU game. It seems like there were a lot of extenuating circumstances going on. Whether the, how much of a factor the fatigue was, Meyer being sick, you can't just discount that. Uh, Trace right. having, he could have defended him better, I think. Tried something mm-hmm. different at least, but he also was, he was just on that game too. So, and they've had their duds here and there. They've also looked really good some games too. So I, this team's a question mark. The whole Big Ten is in the same boat basically besides uh, Purdue is at the top and Minnesota is pretty clearly at the bottom, although they almost knocked off Michigan this week. Um, but I think they're pretty clearly the bottom rung and everyone else in the middle there is kind of all in the same boat. So, you know, I the, I think the Big Ten championships out of the question for the most likely for the Illini this, this season, uh, regular season Big Ten championship. But I think a top four finish is absolutely doable when you look at the rest of the um, teams in there. So, Illinois just needs to regroup and, and get their act together. I think that they're still among the most talented teams in the conference. And you look at their resume, as you pointed out, they beat Texas. They beat UCLA. They can beat anybody in the country. And I don't think there's a, a truly dominant team out there. Purdue's a nice team, but are they an uh, absolute powerhouse, number one team in the nation? Uh, I don't really think so. When you look at Houston and Kansas, you know, have had their losses as well, too, and taken some lumps. So, Things are wide open nationally, and I still think they're pretty wide open in terms of the upper echelon of the Big Ten. So I still like the potential of this team. Mm-hmm. It's just you never know for sure when they're going to throw up a dud and just not show up. Even when you think they've turned a corner, maybe they haven't quite. Now, you mentioned Moretti and, and uh, was it uh, Perron? Yeah, Perron. I'm quite sure how to pr- pronounce his name. Zachary. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah so, Zach. There you go. Let's go, Zach. Yeah, Zach. Uh, you got you got you know you got him you got uh, Moretti and uh, the uh, the manager they promoted to player uh, mm-hmm. Red. Now I know Peron was he was already coming to school. It was just a matter of getting I guess the transcripts and the financial aid worked out to where he could uh, get in. Uh, I hadn't heard much about this Moretti. You got any 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 other information on him his or when, popped I, up some, his name popped up some this. Uh... This offseason, I know it popped up that he was someone that Illinois was re- recruiting later in the season, but then he just kind of fell off the map. I hadn't heard anything about him until suddenly he's coming to Illinois. I've seen some clips of him. He looks like he's a, a talented kid, and he, he's got some, uh, I think, nice shot and nice uh, nice passing skills. So I'm optimistic. I don't think Illinois is at the point where they're not taking a whole lot of extreme flyers on kids. You know, if, they, if they, they're able to get – like you know the type of talent that they I think they know the type of talent they want to get and they're able to get most of it these days so I gotta think he's got some strong potential if the Illini are bringing him in and I think he's going to be a nice piece going forward because they do need to to beef up that that point guard situation as you said I I don't know where things stand with Sky it's kind of mysterious with that I I'd probably be surprised if he was part of the team again in the future but heck I don't know I don't I don't really know where where things stand as, as you said i haven't seen him enter any portal or anything yet so who knows where that all stands i wish the best for him whatever he ends up deciding to do uh but i i think moretti there will be an interesting piece moving forward i, I do think they're going to need to recruit a, a veteran point guard this coming off season they should be able to bring in a pretty good one i think too because it's there's a spot there for someone there's no like right, clear right. person in that role that like, they've got to really completely beat out if you're if you're good, that you should have a chance to be able to step in, I would think, too. But that's going to be an important role going forward. But I think he seems like a guy with a nice promise for the future. Uh, a couple final final thoughts here. Trying to refresh my memory who we've got coming in next year. Marins, I think. Is he next year or is he 24? Marins, I think he's still at 24. So they've got uh, uh, Hansberry, the kid Hans- from, from Philadelphia. Oh, they've got the um, uh, Gibbs. Uh, the, the, yeah, the Gibbs. Point- to uh, Purdue originally, so he's coming in right. as well. They do yeah. have another guard coming in there, young young guard as well too. Yeah. But there so again, it's, it's, it's a young guard, so right. But you got to get, and you know, I, I I love Epps too. I think Epps has got a great yeah. future, great potential as well too. It's still you got to have someone who's a, a vet and a true proven leader. I think on the on the team next year in that in that point guard position uh, is 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 going to be crucial for them moving forward. Yeah. Do you see? Uh, Hawkins and or Melendez uh, leaving at the end of the, uh, and going to the because their name has been mentioned and I know they've shown up on some boards here and there but I don't think Melendez has really 
since the preseason. I don't think he's really put himself in a good position. I think with Hawkins, they know what they're getting because they can see it every night. He's got the athleticism, but what is your take? I could see Coleman perhaps going pro after the season, but I think it'd probably behoove him to to return, really. I think he could definitely get better. Coleman has NBA skills. I think he he could refine his game more. Um, One thing I wish he'd do less is shoot like 30 footers. It seems like he, he seems to shoot the longest three possible rather than getting the best shot at times (laughs) and going towards the basket more and fading away the last. I think there's a lot he can still work on. It wouldn't surprise me. RJ, I think he's got a lot of work to do before he's ready to be a pro. I I think the expectations for RJ were a little outsized this off season. People were kind of comparing him to Keegan Murray and he have a, uh, you know, a breakthrough season and he showed some flashes last year, but he's, He's been kind of up and down and seems to have kind of tapered and, and plateaued a little bit. I think he's got a lot of athleticism and ability, but needs to work on his on his game more. And, you know, Terrence Shannon Jr. has another year of eligibility, too. Uh, I think he's got a pro really Yeah, he does. He has a, he has another oh. season, two years coming in. He had two years, so he could be back next okay. season. You know, you got to look at those guys. Maybe they're ready to go, but are they – uh, Hawkins or or Terrence, are they? Are you really going to be a first rounder? You know, for do you think for sure you have a chance? If not, probably should come back. I, you know, I wish I wish Kofi had come back for another year. I think it would have been best for him uh, with that. So, but sometimes guys are just done with school. So it wouldn't shock me to see those guys leave. And every offseason, you're probably going to have some transfers in and transfers out for programs these days too. That's just kind of a given, I think, of of the state of the game right now. I think that, I mean, there's a lot of talent that they should have on the roster again next year as well, too. And hopefully the guys, there's a talented roster this year and they can maximize it. Key is to get to the tournament and see if they can try and get that second weekend finally. So just focus on getting to the tournament right now and hopefully take it, take it and break through that wall and get to the second weekend. Now you mentioned Luke, Luke Goody a little bit earlier. I think he's what ready for not this coming game, but next week. I hope so. The original rumors were he could be back the 16th and the 19th. So he wasn't back for either of those games, um, the the Minnesota or the Michigan State game. So I haven't heard the latest update. I know he's practicing with no boot, and I think Mm -hmm. he's out there. So I got to hope he's back soon. You know, his his outside shooting ability, I think his presence on the court, his leadership, he's a rugged guy. The question is, how long will it take him to get up full, fully up to game speed? Um, which you got to think it's going to take him a little while to to get going and uh, and get in in full shape. I think that was part of Myers' issue that he had some back issues in the offseason. I, I don't think he was fully conditioned uh, the start of the year that kind of slowed him down. So I, I'm not sure when Goody's going to be back, but I, I think it's going to be soon. I really hope it's going to be soon because they could use him out there. Well, I tell you what, with the uh, uh, list listening to Meyer talk about uh, when he first got here and how out of shape he was and mm-hmm. what he credits Fletch with. He goes, he goes, I got my six pack back. I mean, he was <laughs> the, inter- the interview I saw him on and, uh, but he said he's in the best shape of his life. And, you know, so you got to give the Illinois training staff a little bit of, uh, 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 you know, because I guess uh Deanna was saying when they were in the Vegas tournament and uh, the Baylor team, you know, team was there and they, they said mm-hmm. they had guys coming up to him and said, what'd you do with the other half of Dane? <laughs> I bet. You know, because, you know, because he was like almost 300 pounds when he played for them and he's down to like 265 at Illinois and or yep. it looks like a, you know, they say it looks like a completely different ball player. So, oh, I mean, how how important do you think the training has become lately at in college basketball? I think it's important across the board. I think Illinois has as good a trainer and flesh as, as anyone in the country too. And he's the guy that, you got to pay him what it, what it takes to keep him around. I know they've given him raises. And he, what the transformation he's done with things. You look at what you know. Io was a scrawny kid when he came in, and he mm-hmm. left with an NBA physique. You see that he got Kofi really fit and in shape. You see what he's done with with Danger. Even in the short amount of time that Terrence Shannon Jr. has been there, there's been a, a physical changes that I've seen photos of him before he joined the Illini program. So really, his weight training and conditioning program is absolutely on point. So I think. Give him a little time. You know, I, I'm sure he's been working with Goody and they're getting him, getting him into as much shape as it, as it, as he can. I think it's different once you actually get back on the court in a real game, you know, the the exertion level that you're going to put forward with that. But enormously important. And I think he's been uh, a huge key to the, um, the the success that Underwood's had. He's just getting these guys in shape and getting their bodies built up and really ready for big-time basketball. Uh, one final question. I mean, a lot of people are saying we're going to be like the last two years. 
Mm-hmm. Win the first week, win the first game, and then done. I can see that. I can actually see that happening with this team, depending who we play and where our seating is. But do you think this team can make that deep run? I think it's a yeah. I think it has the. I think it has the talent to do it. They need to have their heads right and playing well. But I absolutely right. think they have the talent to do that. It all depends on matchups and who they get. But like uh, the most recent right. thing I saw was Illinois projected as a nine seed, and something I saw recently. Now I think they can still move up from that line potentially, but this is a season two where I don't think there are any clear cut powerhouses. So like Illinois has an eight, nine facing a number one seed who isn't a powerhouse. Number one seed could be an awfully scary proposition for that number one seed. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a lot of questions uh, where they're going to get seated and what they have um, uh, going on with that. But I, I think they have the talent and ability to pull this through and, and, and get through that second weekend. It's a matter of who they, they've gotten bad matchups uh, the past couple of years. Uh, that right. haven't really contributed to things, too. I mean, Loyola had a whole being able to knock off the in-state team, the high-seed right. team, and good Loyola team with a lot of experience still from their Final Four team, and then Houston was wildly underseeded last year. That said, you know, oh Illinois got – But that was – they haven't had any favors from the from the seeding committee as well, too. So maybe Illinois do to get a more favorable seed this year. <laughs> and if they've got some guys, Meyer, for example, who knows what it takes to make a run in – in right, uh, right. March, and hopefully they can break through. I, I, I'm not. This, this past game against Indiana was really disheartening and disappointing. But come back out against Ohio State this week and let and get another win and get back on the right track. I, I still believe this team can really uh, make some things happen the rest of the year. Hey, Dave, it's been great having you on. Uh, we'll have to do this again sometime for sure. Uh, maybe we get closer to football season. We'll talk a little football maybe That's down the good. road. Okay, and. Uh, Let's see. Uh, remind me your Twitter handle again, where people can get a hold. Yeah, of Yeah, they can find me on Twitter at wishlist. So at it's W I S C H L I S T. So wishlist with a C. Uh, and thanks. Okay. It's been great being on. And go Illini. Uh, enjoy the rest All of right. the season. All right. Well, thank you, Dave, and I appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dave Wishnowski. I'm going to have to have him definitely back on again. Uh, maybe this basketball season, definitely by uh, football season. Uh, before we close out, I want to give you some quick programming notes. Uh, next week will be the monthly NCAA report with Russ Robinson. So mark your calendar for that. Russ is always a great guest to have on and a very good, uh, knowledgeable man about college football. So that should be a fun show. Um, looking forward here. I'm going to try and get John Denton back on sometime uh, during spring training. And then when the XFL gets into gear with some games, I'm going to try and get uh, – the A-Trains, Arlington Lane back on. So, uh, you know, look forward to some more guests coming on. And uh, so stay tuned for that. And now, as we move on. For Under the Arch, uh, the XFL is back and having its uh, initial return put on hold by COVID. Uh, they are now back and underway, ready to go again. After a slight rework of the teams, uh, L.A. and New York are no longer in the league. They were replaced by San Antonio and Las Vegas. The XFL draft was held back in November, and that's a little different draft than what you see with the NFL. Uh, the XFL quarterbacks are assigned or pre-selected first, and then on um, each individual day, you've got different skill sets that are drafted as opposed to a wide-open draft like you see in the NFL. Uh, day one, you have the offensive skill sets um, on your wide receivers, your running back, your fullback, your tight end, that guys, those guys like that. Then your defensive backs, your defensive front which includes your inside linebackers and outside uh, edge rushers, um, and then your offensive line. And day two is a similar situation, uh, going with different uh, some different positions here and there, and then, of course, the special teams. St. Louis Battlehawks had the second pick, and uh, in all, the Battlehawks drafted 57 players. Coach Anthony Becht was very pleased with how the draft went. He said, we, quoting here, we got the players, the majority of players that we had rated high on our board. We did our homework. I felt we got some great guys, and we're in really good shape. We feel great about the 57 we drafted. 
according to Coach Beck, they got the top four linebackers they wanted, and he also called the secondary long and athletic, saying you're talking about a team that can go sideline to sideline, very fast, very strong. Beck also thinks they have the best running back in the league with Brian Hill, or running backs, excuse me, in the league with Brian Hill, Mateo Durant, and Abdul Adams. Becht also likes his tight end, saying we've got it all, speed, length, size. He went on to say Jordan Thomas is 275-pound tight end who can move out of break quick, quicker, move out of breaks quicker than I ever could. And Beck should know a lot about that. He did play tight end for 12 years in the NFL for the Jets, Buccaneers, St. Louis Rams, Arizona Cardinals, and Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the XFL season will begin February 18th, so they're less than a month away from getting started. And most games will be carried by ESPN, ESPN2, FX, with a few games being on ABC. The league will play uh, mostly a Saturday-Sunday schedule, but there are going to be a few games slated for Thursday, Friday, and Monday. So for the complete schedule, I want you to go to www.xfl.com and check out, as they say, check your local listings or times in your area. All right, quickly, Bally Sports and the St. Louis Cardinals have announced that Atlanta Braves broadcaster Chip Carey, son of Skip Carey and grandson of Harry Carey, will take over the calling of the TV games for the St. Louis Cardinals after Dan McLaughlin steps aside. Carey was a finalist with Seattle Mariners broadcaster Aaron Goldsmith, who removed himself from contention, saying that he had now developed a relationship with the Mariners and the fans in the city of Seattle, and he felt uh, the staying there was better off for him. Uh, Carey, who was born in St. Louis, has been with the Atlanta Braves the past 18 seasons. He started in 93-95, working some games with the Seattle Mariners. In 1998-2004, he was the TV play-by-play announcer for the Chicago Cubs. In 2004, he joined his father, Skip Carey, in Atlanta. You know, I think it's kind of a neat thing you have Chip following his grandfather in St. Louis. Uh, Harry was the radio voice back then in the uh, 60s. But I still think it's pretty cool. I mean, because you had Joe Buck following his his dad, Jack, and and uh, so now you got Skip following his grandfather, uh, Harry, uh, in uh, St. Louis, uh, announcing St. Louis games. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll have to see. Uh, you know, uh, you don't know until you, hear, you actually hear the voice on the on the uh, on the screen, so to speak. So, well, that's going to do it for me. And as always, if you've enjoyed any of this or all of this, uh, please feel free to contact me via. Twitter at TSOTBGCS or the show's website talkingsports-otb-gcs.onpodium.com or at gatewaycitysports.com. Until next time, have fun, stay safe, and we'll see you again when we're talking sports on the bleachers. Thanks again for joining us, and you have been listening to Talking Sports on the Bleachers. Here's hoping you have a great sports day.